Well, I've had a great morning already praising the Lord. How about you? Amen. And I hope that by the time we finish the message here that you will also feel like that it's been a tremendous time of worship together. Well, we've been studying the motivational gifts that come out of Romans chapter 12, the seven motivational gifts. And we started with service and then leadership and then prophecy. And today we're going to talk about mercy. And I want you to realize that although we're, we're born with a key motivational gift, a primary gift, Sometimes we have two that are, or three that are pretty close together. It's hard to discern which one is our dominant gift. Well, if you can't figure that out, sometimes that's good because that means you may have several of these gifts that are strong enough in you to motivate you to do a lot of things for the kingdom of God. So as we look at that, remember that spiritual gifts are different from talents and abilities. Some people have mechanical abilities. Some people have musical abilities. They have talents that I don't have or you don't have. But those are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are endowed by the Spirit of God who lives within us if we're born again. And those spiritual gifts equip us to do the work of ministry in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ as we share with others. We are gifted with that dominant gift or several of the gifts. And the purpose is to build up the body of Christ, to build up the church. If everybody in the room today were exercising our spiritual gifts to the maximum, guess what would happen? There's no telling what would happen, but I would guarantee you there wouldn't be any empty seats in this place. People would be so aware of the movement of God through this church that they would want to come and they would want to be a part of it. So part of talking about and preaching about spiritual gifts is to help us to understand how God wants to use us in ministry. Not that we can be glorified, but that He can be glorified and the church of Jesus Christ can be glorified. Knowing your spiritual gift helps you to find your place of service and ministry within the body. Some of you say, well, I would be involved, I would be do something, but I don't really know where I fit in. Well, sometimes if you just don't know, ask. I guarantee you, if you ask me, I'll find a place to put you to work. <laughs> I, I love to see people working to help the church function and to find places of ministry there. Well, the greatest effectiveness that we can have is when we're exercising our spiritual gifts. If I try to do something that I'm not gifted at, it's a strain, it's a wear and a tear on me. But when I use my spiritual gifts, I do it with the greatest effectiveness and the greatest efficiency, and I don't wear out. I don't get tired. I get excited more. It energizes you when you're using that gift. So, Understanding the gifts and their characteristics can help all of us in understanding one another. If you live with somebody with the gift of prophecy, bless your heart. They're going to see everything that you do wrong. <laughs> and it's not going to be easy to maintain that marriage or to maintain that relationship within the family. So, but if you understand that 
that person's not just being critical. They're a, they have that gift, and they see things, and it's black or white. And you may be a little bit of a gray person doing things on the edge, and that can make it more difficult. But when we understand our gifts, we understand each other within the family. They can keep down arguments. They can keep down stress. And when we understand each other in the body of Christ, we can work together more effectively and more efficiently. So understanding that gift is a key for living. As we find our place of service in the church, guess what happens? You want some joy? Find your place of service. You want some sense of fulfillment in your life? Find your place of service. I don't want to offend anybody, but as we work together, we can do more than we could do individually. And as we understand each other, we develop a closer-knit fellowship, a greater love for one another. And that's what God wants within the body of Christ. We can't express love out into the community until we have found it within the body. Well, mercy is the godly attitude of relieving difficulty and distress in others. Finding people that are living in some kind of a difficulty or distress situation and relieving that is what the person with mercy is driven to want to do. They see somebody hurting, and they want to help them. Let's take that illustration of the visit in the hospital once again. If the person with the gift of mercy goes into a hospital room, and they see the person there with all the tubes coming out and going in them and everything, their heart just nearly breaks. And they want to go over to them and pat them on the hand, adjust the pillow, and say, I'm just so sorry that you're in this condition. I wish I could be here and take some of your pain. They have that attitude of just hurting inside when they see others hurting. And so the person with the gift of mercy is able to express joy with those who are joyful. They're excited about that, and they can express joy, but they also can feel pain, and they can feel the pain of others who are hurting. Well, Matthew 9.13 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the people were required to go to the temple and to make sacrifices at different times of the year. And that was a part of the expectation that Moses gave to the people. And they tried to fulfill that. But it became a point where the sacrifices were just going through the motions of sacrifice. They didn't really have any kind of heart change. They were just going to the temple and making a sacrifice. Sometimes we can come to church and just go to church and not really worship. God wants us to worship. He wants us to be in the moment. When we're here in church, He wants us to sing Make a joyful noise if you can't sing. I can't sing very well, but I love to make a joyful noise. Be in the moment and praise God. Well, the reason this verse is in here is several of the prophets later on, as they call the people to repentance, said to them that God requires mercy, not sacrifice. He'd rather see us having hearts that have been changed, hearts that are merciful, hearts that are sensitive, rather than 
just going and sacrificing. And you'll see later in the illustration in Luke about the Good Samaritan. Think about this verse primarily. Matthew 5, 7, part of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who are merciful. What happens to them? For they shall receive mercy. If you want to receive some mercy, be merciful. And it'll come back to you. God will reward your mercy with mercy that comes back to you at some point. And so that's part of the Beatitudes and prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. Then Proverbs 3.3 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them, write them, that you might find favor with God and man. God wants us to remember his truth. God wants us to put that truth into action. And that action is the expression of mercy. Now, we have seven motivational gifts. We're going to be dealing with teaching and uh, exhortation and giving after this one, but we're a little over the halfway point after today. So if you haven't found your gift yet, pray that God will show you out of these messages what your gift is because you will be able to be used of God in a greater way. Well, God's desire is for us to be a merciful person. Are you glad that God had mercy on you? You didn't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve eternal life. But God and his great love expressed itself in compassion, which expressed itself in mercy, which expressed itself in forgiveness, and new life in Jesus Christ. What a progression there for us. Then James 2.13 says, Be you therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. We're to imitate Christ. We're to imitate the Father in heaven. And Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if he's being merciful, you know that that's part of the character of God, to be merciful, and we need to do that. So now we're going to look at the passage about the Good Samaritan. And you know this story very well, but I want you to think about it in light of this message about mercy. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. How many times did you hear that growing up? How many times have you heard it as an adult? We've heard it so many times it becomes sort of mechanical. But God wants us to take that seriously. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he wants us to deal with that. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. You ever wanted to justify yourself about something that you did? I'm terrible about if somebody points out something I've done wrong. First thing I want to do is defend myself. (laughs) I have a bad habit of that. I need to just listen sometimes and let people tell me what I've done wrong and say, Lord, I didn't know that, but 
Help me to understand that. Help me to apply that in my life. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And replied, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. <clears throat> well, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He showed mercy toward him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now you look at the priest going down the road. <clears throat> he was a, relig <clears throat> a religious professional. And he was so concerned about getting to the temple to make sacrifices that he passed by on the other side of the road so that he wouldn't have to deal with this man in the ditch. One day I was on my way to church and I always go early so that if anything happens I've got some recovery time because I don't want to be late. And so as I was going down a road there was a lady standing outside of a car who had a flat tire. We don't have many flat tires now because we have such good tires on our cars, but back when I was growing up, you, you could easily have a flat tire. Uh, and so I thought for a moment, well, I, I've got to get to church, but this lady needs some help. And I decided I'd pull over and stop. This passage here came to my mind. I pulled over and stopped and got out and... She was uneasy at first, and I, then I told her I was a minister, and I would gladly help her, and she relaxed a little bit, and I was able to change the tire very quickly, and I prayed, Lord, help me get this thing changed quickly so I can get on to church, and I got on to church, but I thought many times, what if I hadn't stopped? What if I'd been like this priest on the way to the temple? I had an opportunity to express the love of God to her. And I talked to her the whole time I was changing the tire because she st stood right there watching me. And I was able to talk to her and share the love of God with her in doing something very simple that was a little bit more than she knew how to do, but something that I did know how to do. Well, the priest was headed to sacrifice. And so what does God say? He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So the priest, we know at that point, didn't do a very good job of being a good priest. He didn't stop. He didn't show mercy. And then the Levites, they were the ones who wanted to obey every little jot and tittle of the law. And 
Guess why he didn't stop? The man was bloodied. He was pure. He was headed towards the temple likewise, and he didn't want to become unpure by touching that man. Now, we know that if he had touched the man, <clears throat> he could have still gone to the temple and washed and been purified, but it was a little bit beneath him to stop and help that man. And then here comes a Samaritan down the road. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And here was a Jew in the ditch. And the Samaritan went to him and he bound him up and poured wine on his wounds to try to cut out the germs. He bound up his wounds and he put him on his donkey. And he took him to an inn and stayed there with him a day or so to be sure he was going to be okay. And then when he had to go, he told the innkeeper, whatever expense there is, when I come back, I will cover that expense. And so when the expert in the law asked Jesus about this, Jesus asked him, well, which one of the three do you think was a neighbor? And he knew the answer was, it was the man, the Samaritan, that they didn't like. The expert in the law very likely could have been a priest, could have been a Levite, but at least was a Pharisee or Sadducee and proud of their knowledge of the law and their obedience to the law. But the Samaritan was the one who showed compassion. He took him to the inn and he made provision for him. Now, I, if I'm honest, I don't know that I'd gone that far. I might have stopped and poured oil and wine on the wounds and bound him up, got him up on his feet and said, well, uh, good luck. Hope you make it. I've, I've done what I need to do. But he took him and put him on his own donkey. Well, I might have gone that far. I might have even put him on my donkey. And then I would have to walk and lead the donkey. But where do you go? Well, got to take him to the to the inn or somewhere where he can rest and heal. I might have checked him in and let him pay his own way and said, now I've done all I need to do. God bless you. Have a good day. Get well soon. Maybe I'll see you again someday. But no, he stayed there sometime with him to be sure he was okay. And then sometimes I'm too tight with my money. And I probably wouldn't have taken out money and paid the innkeeper and told him that when I come back, if there's any extra expense, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And the innkeeper probably knew him. He probably traveled that way quite often. And the innkeeper trusted him. So ask yourself, how far would I have gone? How much mercy would I have expressed? And I think part of the story here is to show how far a person who loves God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. That's what the expert in the law told Jesus. When you have that kind of a heart, guess what you're going to do? You're going to express mercy and you're going to go overboard sometimes. 
overboard in our eyes, but not overboard in the eyes of God. God expects us to show mercy to those who are hurting, those who are down and out, those who are in distress, those who have difficulty. So the definition for the gift of mercy is that it's the godly motivation to want to relieve people from difficulty and distress by using their life's resources to help others, to benefit others. Now, when I say life resources, it may not be financial resources. It may just be your time. It may just be your talents, your gifts, those other abilities that God's given to you. I was able to change the tire for that lady that morning, and I always remember it because I knew I had obeyed the Lord. Sometimes I don't obey Him. But when you do, you feel good inside, and you know that you've done what God wants you to do. So the gift of mercy is helping those who are hurting and relieving their stress by using your life's resources. Sometimes that may be today taking that bleeding person and put them in your car. Too bad about the seat covers, but getting them to the hospital or where they need to go is more important than those seat covers. It may mean that you use some of your financial resources a lot of times people that are hurting come to the church. Some people that have financial needs come to the church and they ask for help. The person with the gift of mercy will spot those people pretty quickly. And maybe there's a deacon that has a gift of mercy and they come back and they see this person talking to the pastor and they know the pastor doesn't carry much money on him. And so they come up and they provide the money to take him to get something to eat, to take him and give him a night's hotel or motel. So using your life resources means that everything that God has given to you, guess where it came from? It came from him. It's really his. It's not ours. We're just stewards of it. We just have the privilege of using it. So let's look at the characteristics of the person with the gift of mercy. They have a special spiritual sensitivity to discern distress in people, difficulties that they're going through, or joy that they're experiencing. It can be in a person, it can be in a group that they discern those things. And so, like the scripture says, they weep with those who weep. And they rejoice with those who rejoice. They have an ability to identify with people, to empathize with people, to relate to people, and to come alongside of them and help them to feel better. They have a tremendous compassion for those who are in physical, emotional, or spiritual distress. I think God has given me a special compassion for those who experience problems with alcohol and with drugs. Why? Because I grew up in a dysfunctional home with an alcoholic father. But that prepared me to have a sensitivity for those who are struggling and going through those things. And I want to help them. I want to point them in the right direction and come alongside them. They're motivated to want to relieve that distress, that difficulty that a person is going through. 
And that drives them. That keeps them going and keeps them doing the things that God wants them to do. But sometimes they don't wait a benefit of the hurt that the person's going through or see it sometimes as God's discipline. A person who doesn't have the gift of mercy often just says, well, they got to get to the rock bottom, let them go. They're not going to accept help till they hit rock bottom. Well, the person with mercy just doesn't want them to hit rock bottom. They just can't stand that. It just tears them up inside to think that they got to go through more distress and more pain. And so they don't always see that God may be working through that hurt and that pain to get their attention. A person with the gift of mercy avoids firmness in dealing with others unless the benefits are made clear. Boy, when the teaching about tough love came out, that bothered a lot of people with the gift of mercy. They just can't express tough love. It's hard for them. Unless they see and understand the benefits that are going to come out of that action. And if they see the benefits, they will step back. They won't be the ones to implement the, per the tough love, but they will affirm others who do. They're very sensitive to how the actions and words hurt other people. They may be standing there when somebody comes up and says something hurtful to the person that's there. And that person that said it may have the gift of prophecy that may not even realize what they said. It just came out. That's part of their nature. It just came out, but it hurt the person that said it to and they didn't even know that they've done it. Well, the person with mercy, if they see that happen, will come over and say, Brother, I'm sorry that she said that. I know that hurts you. But just go on. God loves you. And he's going to take care of it. And just don't, let, don't dwell on that. The person with the gift of mercy has a spiritual discernment to pick up on the motives of other people whether they are sincere or insincere. You don't want to be around people that are insincere, do you? Once you figure it out, it's just no fun being around them because you know they're sort of just putting on things. They're not real. They're not genuine. And so the person with the gift of mercy helps discern that and know that and helps move through that with the body of Christ person with the gift of mercy will very quickly close their heart and their relationship to somebody that's insincere. They will just not want to spend time with them, not want to be around them. They want to be with people who are sincere, who are genuine in what they say and they do. The person with the gift of mercy has a great need for deep relationships where genuine love is shared. We have the care groups, and I encourage people to find a group to be a part of because we all need deeper relationships, and we need deeper relationships with other believers. They help us to grow. They help to hold us up. They help support us when we pray, when we fellowship together. That's important for the body of Christ. And so the person with mercy more likely is going to be in a care group.
They have a tendency to side with the underdog when there's division. Anybody here like to side with the underdog? <laughs> I, I find myself doing that, uh, and I just I want to help them. I want to uh, get them moving along, and I hate to see them down, and I don't want anybody taking advantage of that. They have a sincere desire for peacemaking. If there's something going on, the person with in church business meeting or something, and there's a little bit of strife and difference of opinion that's getting expressed a little stronger than it should, the person with the gift of mercy will sit there just so long, and then they will get up and say something that sort of calms the situation, puts it in perspective, and helps there to be unity. Their sensitivity and compassion may cause others to begin to see how they can become more sensitive, more compassionate. By the way they do things and what they do, sort of begins to click up here, hey, that person's really on target and I'm not on target. I need to learn from them. I need to spot things like they do and when I do, I need to respond as she is responding. Well, some misunderstandings. Their sensitivity and compassion may cause others to see them as emotionally driven. Well, just discount that. She, she cries about everything. She's crying for that hurting person, but she cries about everything. It can be understand, misunderstood as being just emotional driven. The avoidance of firmness may cause others to see them as weak and indecisive. They want to be weak because in their weakness they become strong in Christ Jesus. That's what the scripture says. Sometimes we want to be strong rather than weak. And their tendency is to side with anyone that is hurt by words or actions. And in that case they may appear to be taking up the offense of others. Taking up the offense of others is seeing someone that's hurt and going over and siding with them and taking up their offense to defend them with the person that's hurt them. So you have to be careful that you don't take up the offense of others. It leads to some problems. There's some dangers. <clears throat> A person with the gift of mercy may develop pride in their sensitivity and their compassionate acts. That's a danger got to be careful. It has to be motivated correctly from the heart and dedicated to the Lord and not for raising yourself up in the eyes of other people. They may overlook spiritual failures and consequences in others. Sometimes the difficulties that people are facing are a consequence of their actions which are in disobedience to God. And sometimes God leaves them in that situation long enough to get their attention that they will repent and turn to him. And the person with the gift of mercy wants to help them along the way and help them out of that situation. And so there's a danger there. You have to be careful about that you don't interfere with what God's trying to do. The tendency to want peace at any price when there's conflict is a danger because if you're just wanting peace and you ignore scripture or you ignore the values that you have as a believer, 
then you have to be careful about that. That's a real danger. And they may become judgmental of others who are not as sensitive. Boy, you get a person with the gift of mercy, a person with the gift of prophecy together, oil and water. going to be hard. They're not going to very easily get close to one another unless they see a genuine, sincere heart and they understand the person with prophecy. And the prophecy person sees and understands that this person has a gift of mercy. I need to be careful that I don't just overwhelm them, that I don't put them down in any way. So there are a lot of dangers that you have to watch out for as well. Well, there are many benefits to the gift of mercy, but they can be used by God to help others become more aware of hurts and needs and ways to express loving concern. I've been amazed in my many years of ministry to watch some of the amazing things that people with the gift of mercy think about in order to help somebody. Sometimes it's something I say, oh, I never would have thought of that. But it was the right thing at the right time to help that person. And we need to acknowledge and appreciate them when they help us in that way. And then a person with the gift of mercy balances out those in the body who are guided mostly by logic. And it preserves unity in the body. The person with the gift of prophecy, the person with the gift of leadership, can easily overwhelm other people. That person with the gift of mercy comes along and sort of helps to mend things, helps to make things right, helps to do what needs to be done to bring unity in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the scripture says, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different tongues. What we need to see out of this series is that we're all uniquely God's child. We're his children. We're brothers and sisters. I had an older sister. Sometimes we fought with each other, but we loved each other. We need to love each other in the body of Christ. We need to understand each other, and we need to help each other exercise and use the gifts that they have for the sake of the kingdom. Let's pray.